Welcome to the Islands Christian Church Podcast. We're so glad you're listening with us today. You can worship with us in person in Savannah, Georgia, or with our live stream every Sunday at 10 a.m. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast to hear a new message every Monday. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to continue this conversation that we've been having for a while called Come and See. It's about uh, how we invite our friends to consider the claims of Jesus, how do we invite our friends to consider the gospel. And, you know, if we're honest, a lot of us, we don't even go public with our faith. In other words, the only people that really know we're Christians are the people we go to church with, you know, in our family. Like, we just don't go public with our faith. We don't, we don't let it out there. Uh, and you have, you have your good reasons for that, and I'm sure you do. And this series has been about trying to challenge you and trying to get you to think about what it would look like to go public for your faith and what are some practical ways to do that. Because here's the thing. The way people become Christians, the way people become followers of Jesus is through people who are Christians who are following Jesus, right? It's through our lives that God chooses to draw people to the Savior. And so we are his plan A. There is no plan B. Like this is this is the point of the series. And so, you know, the point of the series hasn't been, oh, and, you know, get people to come to our church, although we'd love more people to come to our church. Sure, it'd be great. But that's not the point. The point is for each of us to be people who live out our faith every single day and inviting our friends to come and see uh, the Savior, Jesus, because that's how God draws people to himself is through us. Now, today we're looking at a text in the first letter of Peter, First Peter, and I want to give you a little bit of background. If you want to go there, it's in First Peter chapter 3. I want to give you a little bit of background, though, that, that maybe will help you understand a little of, uh, of what this kind of is going on in this letter. Because remember, a lot of the New Testament is letters, and letters have uh, occasions for being written. So there's a reason why the, Peter's writing this letter. The, the church in Asia Minor, which is where Peter's writing this letter to, Christians in Asia Minor, the Christians there were not like us. They, they were not like us at all, man. Their lives were tough. They were hard. So they, Christianity was like a minority, a small group of people, and they were mistrusted by the larger society. They were seen as dangerous by the larger society. Believe it or not, the Romans in Asia Minor and the, the society there, the culture there, they called Christians atheists. They called Christians atheists. Did you ever, did you, did you know that, that Christians were called atheists in the beginning? Because the Romans believed in like a multitude of gods and Christians believed in what? One true God. And so they didn't believe in all these other gods. And so what the, the, the problem was, was that they viewed Christians as dangerous for society because by you not believing in all the other gods that we all believe in, you're inviting problems for our society. You're going you're gonna to upset these gods, and they're going to do something bad to us because you don't believe in them and you don't honor them. You're over here busy just honoring your one true God. That's going to cause a problem for us. And so the Christians were mistrusted. They were also mistreated. They, they, so it would be kind of like you know your kid wouldn't get into a school because you were a Christian. You, you wouldn't get a job because you were a Christian. Like it, You wouldn't be able to get this house to rent because you were a Christian. Like It was this kind of persecution just seen as mistrust. You didn't have freedom of movement. It would be a lot like um, Jim Crow laws of the American South, right? And so that just because of a group of people, group of people's skin color, they didn't have freedom of movement. They just couldn't move as they wished and as they wanted. And so it's the same way for these Christians that Peter's writing to. So we're talking about people who are you know, not well connected. They don't have uh, much. They don't have any rights. They're being mistreated. So keep that in mind as we read through this text, First Peter chapter three, verses eight through seventeen. This is what Peter says to those Christians. Finally, all of you, so all of you Christians, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Anybody just want to go home now? 
right? I'm done. I can't, I can't even do this, right? I'm done. Verse nine, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Okay. Y'all notice it's getting harder and harder. Be nice to each other. Be compassionate. Be kind. Don't repay evil with evil. Now look at the next sentence. On the contrary, repay, repay evil with blessing. Oh, come on, Peter. You've lost your mind, right? Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then he quotes from Psalm 34. He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Remember, he's writing a letter to these people. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now, it's interesting here that Peter doesn't say, hey, the culture you're living in is anti-Christian. It doesn't trust Christians. It's dangerous for Christians. He doesn't say, so buck up and fight back. Do you notice that? He doesn't say start a campaign. He doesn't say start an organ. You got to look at what he instructs us to do. Hey, you're in a, you're in a terrible situation as a Christian simply because of your faith. Be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to endure. Be prepared to walk through that. Like, it's almost like he's saying, don't fight back. And how, yeah, somebody said that's hard, right? Exactly. He, he's like, he's, he's, he's like, he's saying, don't fight back. Yeah, the entire society, the entire culture, the entire political system is completely against you. And he's not saying, so you need to, like, you need to rally up, guys. You need to, you guys need to start having meetings and figuring this out. No, he, he's kind of like, hey, you're going to have to walk through this. And this, this is the advice he gives them that kind of summarize it. Number one, he tells them to live in a countercultural way, to live in a countercultural way. And this is the hard thing about Christianity, man, because so many of us, like Christianity is just like our way of life. We just kind of go to church. It's the kind of thing we do, you know? And when you read the Bible, when you spend time in the Bible, what you realize is being a Christian is really difficult. And this is a prime example of being a Christian being really difficult. Because what Peter's describing is a complete and total different way of living than how everyone's living around them. Let me just reread verses 8 and 9 to you. He says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Okay, all right. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Guys, this is different than the world. This is different than even our culture, is it not? This is, this is different. Peter is saying, hey, this is the general disposition of believers who follow Jesus. And this is how Peter's describing it. This is how we're called to interact with one another. We're called to, golly, man, hold on. Like, we're going to talk about the repaying evil with a blessing in just a moment. But can we talk about what should be easy, which is treating each other with love, treating each other with compassion, treating each other with humility? 
Like that should be easy, right? I should be able to treat you with love, treat you with compassion, treat you with humility. I should be able to live in community with you and love you and care for you. That should be easy. But can we be honest? Have you been around church any length of time, anybody? Did y'all know churches tend to have a little drama? And did you know that a lot of time at the center of that drama is people being mean to each other? And not having compassion towards each other? Not being humble towards each other? Not not deferring or assuming goodwill? Not trying to understand? But instead, seeking to be understood? What Peter's describing here is that the church is a place that's in itself different than the rest of the world. Here's the thing, here's the thing. This is a part of the draw of Christianity, is that there's this community of people who care for each other, who are compassionate towards each other, who are humble, and who are a unified, like-minded, he says. They're like-minded, they're unified. And the world goes, man, look at that. That's a community of people that I could see myself a part of. But here's the thing, the church has not been that community. So people in the community, people like in the world kind of look at the church and say, well, they're just as dysfunctional as I am. Why do I want to go get on that crazy train? This is too hard, isn't it, right? This is just too hard. Like it's too hard to look ourselves in the mirror as Christians and say, yeah, we're not doing it. We're we're not doing what like is the easy part of this passage. It's the easy part to treat each other with love and compassion and humility, to be sympathetic to one another. And most of you, you, you would say, well, yeah, I do that. I do that. Well, yeah, you, we do that with people who we are already like-minded with. But what if you have a brother or a sister in Christ that you are not like-minded on certain things? I don't know, politics. Are you sympathetic? Are you loving? Are you compassionate? Or is it like, the gloves are off, dude. I can't believe you think this way. How could, you can't be a Christian. Too hard, I know. But then if you keep reading this, verse nine, he's like, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Now this, this we're like, okay, okay, I could do that. I could, when somebody does something evil to me, I can just ignore it and let it fall off my back. I'll just have duck fetish. No big deal. I'll just do this. Got it. I got it. But that isn't what he says. He says, no, I actually want you to repay their evil. I just don't want you to repay their evil or their meanness to you. I just don't want you to repay it with more evil or more meanness. I actually want you to repay it with what? What's he say? I want you to repay it with blessing. I want you to repay it with blessing. Now, Peter, you have lost your mind, bro. Because I don't know about you, like the thing about our culture and the way our world works is when somebody does something evil to us or unjust to us or mean to us, we immediately kind of start thinking about how we're going to get them. Right. And then sometimes we even start getting back at them without thinking about it. Like we'll be talking trash about them in the hallway at the office. You know, we'll be we'll be like dropping like little hints about how they're just a terrible worker. And really what we're doing is we're trying to get back at their evil action to us. And Peter says, no, the standard for a Christian, the standard, guys, is the basic standard of a Christian is when I receive evil from you, I look for ways to give blessing back to you. You don't, this is hard preaching, right? It's hard. But this is the thing about being a Christian. You can either let Christianity be the feel good. I love that music. I like that service. I like that preacher. 
It can be that. Or it can be, this is the scripture. And the Bible, especially the New Testament, describes to me what the life of a Christ follower looks like. And while it's hard and difficult and challenging, I'm going to do everything in my power to lean into the spirit and the leadership of Jesus Christ in my life to actually obey things like repaying someone's evil toward me with blessing. Which is exactly what Jesus did. He repaid our evil with the blessing of his blood. He's just simply inviting us to be like him. All of this doesn't line up with our culture. It doesn't make sense to us. But I think this is the critical decision that you're faced with if you're going to call yourself a Christian. Am I actually going to say I believe this stuff and seek to follow the scripture? Or am I just going to kind of feel good about calling myself a Christian and live my life to what I think is right? You get to make that decision. That's the beautiful part. There's another thing that Peter shows us, though, about how to live in a world uh, that's not pro-Christian, you know? Because, like, the Christians in this, when they received this letter, they couldn't imagine our world. They could not imagine our country. Like, this place where you just, like, go to a church and you, like, sing songs and, you, you like, that just happens, like, totally foreign to them. They were hiding. They were in hiding with their faith. They had to. It was the only way they could survive. But our country and our culture is changing. Anybody see that? It's becoming less, you know, open to the Christian faith, or at least a biblically-based Christian faith. It's becoming more opposed to that. And so Peter gives some advice on what we should do in a world that's not pro-Christian. Let's look uh, at verse 13, which is just kind of a question that he sets up what he's trying to say in verse 14 and 15. Let's look at verse 13 and again. It says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Now, um, Peter says, hey, you know, doing the right thing. I don't know why this mic is giving me drama today, but it is. Uh, doing the right thing is the easiest way to keep from suffering. Can we all agree with that? I read it, read something this week that said um, that if you just don't quit, keep keep serving people, keep loving people, just keep going, don't quit, number one. And then number two, don't blow up your life. In other words, don't get addicted to something. Don't have an uh, extramarital affair. Like, just don't quit, don't blow up your life. And I thought, man, that's a pretty low bar, right? Isn't it? Isn't it a pretty low bar? <laughs> but I kept thinking about it and I was like, but this is true. So many of the guys I know who are, have been in ministry or served in uh, higher levels of ministries, a lot of times what happened was they just got, they just quit. They just got tired and quit, right? They just, you know, just, I can't do this anymore. I just quit and I'm done. And that's not to say that some of those guys needed to be done. Their season was over. I'm not suggesting that it wasn't, but some of them, their season was not over. They just got tired. And then there are guys I've known in ministry who blew up their lives. They just blew up their lives by stupid things. And so one of the things Peter's saying is like, hey, the, the quickest way to not suffer is don't make decisions that lead to suffering. <laughs> okay. Like that's, if you're young, if you're sitting here and you're like a young person, memorize that. If you don't want to suffer, make decisions that don't lead to suffering. Like it's just some, like, it's, it's not a guarantee that you won't suffer. But it helps a lot. 
it helps a lot to just make decisions that won't lead to suffering. Um, but he says, hey, but you still might suffer because sometimes suffering comes even if you do the right thing. It doesn't matter. Persecution comes to you because of your faith. Don't be surprised. Don't be afraid. Don't be frightened is what he's telling these people. These Christians would have been suffering all this economic persecution and all this societal persecution simply because of their faith. And Peter gives them two pieces of advice. And I think these two pieces of advice apply to us today. Number one, revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. And so Peter says, first of all, when you're going through a tough time, when you're suffering, when you've got pain in your life, first of all, remember who is sovereign. Remember that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Savior. He is the King of the world. He is going to have the final say on everything I'm walking through. And so he's saying, hey, Jesus is worthy of your worship. And so give him your worship and trust that he has your best interest at heart and that he's working. And then in your trust for him, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your pain, he tells these Christians, give him affection. This is what revere is, right? honor him, revere him, give him affection, like realize that Jesus has given you affection, that he loves you, that he died for you, and that you can trust him with your life, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pain. But then you turn around and you give him affection and you say, Jesus, I want you to know I trust you. So that's the first thing he says. But then secondly, after revere Christ in your heart, he tells them this in verse 15. So the second thing you can do living in a culture that's not pro-Christian, verse 15, always, the word always is interesting, right? Can we say always together? Ready? Always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, Peter's assumption is, for both those Christians in Asia Minor and us today, is that we are living in that countercultural way. We're a community that loves each other and cares for each other, is sympathetic to one another. But we're also a community of people that don't return evil with evil, but actually we return evil with a blessing. And so Peter's assuming that we're living this way. Now, if you were actually living this way, people who believe that, hey, you gotta get yours, you gotta get back to people who hurt you, those kind of people are gonna see you and they're gonna say, dude, you're weird. You're weird. Like, you love people, you're sympathetic to people, even people you don't agree with. Dude, you're, you're just super weird. And man, I, I saw that that guy was mean to you at work and you brought him coffee the next day. Like what, what was that about? Why, how can, how can you live this way? That's gonna, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying that if you live counterculturally, if you, if you live against the current of the culture, people are gonna say, hey, can you please tell me why you don't, do what we all do because your life seems more appealing than my life, than everybody else's life. Your life seems more attractive. The way you're living seems better than the way I'm living. And Peter says that they're gonna ask you. And when they ask you, when you're setting this good example and you're showing them how to live counterculturally, they're gonna ask you for a reason for your hope. Why do you have this hope? Now, interesting, the word here uh, for being able to give a reason, the word for reason is a Greek word, apologia. Apologia. Isn't that a great sounding word? Apologia. We get our English word apologetics from it. Apologia was a legal courtroom term that meant defense or defend, defend your faith. All right. So it was the idea of defending. And um, we understand this. We understand what it means to defend. Like we, we get that completely. But Peter, you see, the word defense can come across uh, abrasive and negative, right? 
Like if, if I get defensive, it, like if you ever said to somebody, why are you getting so defensive? Does that, does that sound good? That doesn't sound good, right? If somebody's getting defensive, that's not good. And so Peter clarifies because he knows he's using a word that means defend. Be ready, always ready to give a defense for your hope. Always ready to give a defense for your, your, your way of life. Always ready to give a defense. He, he knows that that has a tendency to come across, you know, offensively when you're giving a defense. And so the rest of the verse says this. The rest of the verse says, but do this. In other words, give your defense, give your reason, but do this with gentleness and respect. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, okay, even more countercultural stuff, right? But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, this is important because sometimes Christians, we're so convinced of what we believe in, as we should be, and we're, we're so ready to give a defense, as we, we should be. When someone challenges us, it's like a pinup, like, you, don't come at me, man. Don't come at me with that. Like, I'm going to tell you what I believe about. I'm going to tell you how much Jesus loves me. And we just kind of all of a sudden, we have no gentleness and we have no respect. We're abrasive and we're disrespectful. And part of this is just the way our culture is. Right? This, this is just kind of what it is. Um, have, have you guys seen the news lately of these people at football games, uh, NFL games, getting in fights over like their teams? Have you seen that? Well, that doesn't surprise me at all, man. Like, I grew up as like a, a boy teenager, like preteen, teen. I mean, I fought with my friends all the time about like University of Georgia and Georgia Tech or Alabama. You know what I mean? Like my friend, like I, I grew up with friends who were like Alabama friends, fans, and we would literally try to hurt them. Like we would like, that was fair. That was fair game. We would all go out and play like yard football and we'd be like, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit him extra hard because he's an Alabama fan. And, but you see grown men, you can see grown men getting in an argument over, you know, which football team is better. And there is complete and total anarchy and chaos between these two civilized, should be civilized people over a child's game being played by gozillionaires that all don't care about you fighting in the stands. Right? Silliness, right? But the natural inclination of us is when we believe something really deeply and it's really important to us, we tend to be offensive about it. And we tend to get irritated and annoyed by anyone who would challenge us. And so this is why I think Peter clarifies this so carefully. He says, look, when you have the opportunity to talk to someone because you've lived countercultural, you've, you've, you've been gentle and compassionate and sympathetic, and you've returned uh, evil with blessing, you've done all that, and now they've asked you, hey, why do you live this way? What is your reason for this life? Now you have to be very careful that your answer and your response is full of gentleness and respect because here's the thing. What's going to happen is if somebody does ask you like, hey, what's your deal? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe in, in Jesus. And they, and they may very well have like bad baggage with Christianity and bad baggage with the church. Did y'all know some people have that going on? They do. And they may have some baggage with the church or baggage with, baggage with Christianity. And when you say, well, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. They'll be like, oh my gosh, you're one of those. Okay, never mind. And then you have a critical decision to make in that moment. Whether you're going to keep being Christ-like, keep being gentle and humble, and sympathetic, Speak to them with respect. And gentle. You have a critical decision. Or if you're going to be offended on the behalf of Jesus, which can I just say, Jesus doesn't need you to be offended on his behalf. Okay? <laughs> it just, he's a big boy. He's not looking around at us going, man, you didn't really, you didn't really get in his face because I mean, Thought, I thought we were I thought we were dudes, man, and you did not get in his face. He said some bad stuff about me, and you didn't get 
Forget it. Just forget it. Like, that's not, that's not Jesus. Read the Gospels. He's gentle. He's humble. He lets them beat him with a whip. He lets them nail him to the cross. This is who he is. This is who he invites us to be. It's so countercultural. It's so countercultural because in our culture and our understanding how the world works is you only win by winning. But the gospel is you win by losing. You win by losing. If any man should lose his life, he should lose his life. Like this is this is the gospel. And so Peter's trying to be super clear here. That's why he makes clarity for us. He's giving us instructions on how to respond to our suffering and our pain in this life and what's difficult in life, how we keep trusting Jesus, how we revere him. And then when people ask us about Jesus, we give them a reason for our hope. We're prepared to give a reason for our hope. Okay, well, what is the reason for your hope? What is the reason for your hope? You don't, just, just think for a second. What is the reason for your hope? Everlasting life, you know? I mean, I don't want to sound too harsh, but I think for a lot of people who are Christians, and I think they are Christians, Christianity is a, it's, it's like a cultural way of life. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? You know, some people are really big into like saltwater fishing and they have salt life on their truck. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, you know, I go, I love, one of my favorite places to be is in the upstate of South Carolina and Western North Carolina. And what you see up there is stickers that say Trout Unlimited on, you know, got little pictures of trout on their trucks. And I, trust me, I want to live that life, man. You know, it's, that's my retirement goal is to live in that part of the, the country. Um, but it's kind of a way of life. It's Trout Unlimited, Salt Life. How about Lake Life? Have you seen that one, Lake Life? Um, I think for some people, Christianity and attending church and being a part of a church is kind of their cultural way of life. It's just kind of how they move through the world. So, um, so you, they really don't know why they have hope. They don't, they don't really know. If someone said, Hey man, I, I heard that you went to church and I've been thinking about Christianity. Could you tell me like, what's like, why do you have, like, why do you have hope? Like, why do you believe this stuff? I don't know, man. I just, I love my church. I love my pastor. He's a great guy. They might come and hear me preach and say, that guy's terrible. Now, they just interpreted being a Jesus follower with liking a dude who's on stage. You see that? See that problem? You see that? That's a, that's a big deal. And so I think for, for many, many Christians, they... Hey, why do you have hope? Like, why do you believe this stuff? They're like, I don't know. If you can get them to be honest. Well, I mean, God and stuff, man. Jesus, you know, you know, he just, you know, God. He's, he died for me, man, you know? Imagine somebody has zero. So well, another thing we think is that everybody kind of has a basic understanding of the gospel. They don't, by the way. I mean, I worked at the airport for a while. Like, nobody was a Christian with me. They don't. John, you work with a bunch of people. Right, None of them, they don't have a basic understanding of the gospel, do they? No, nothing. They're just clueless, right? They're just clueless. And we think they do. They're completely clueless. They have no foundation at all. Like we'd have to start, you'd have to start with like, well, we believe there's a God. 
right? Right? And we don't believe that because it's so like, we're like the fish in the river and we just think everybody's a Christian and everybody sees the world the way we do. They don't. They have no clue how we see the world and they have to have it explained to them. But most of us just can't. We just don't know how. Uh, some of that's because we haven't really taken personal responsibility for being able to explain our hope. We haven't taken the time to say, well, let me understand why it is I believe this stuff. Let me get a grasp of the gospel. Um, so I want to give you a couple like means or, or tools that you can use today when you leave here. One is, I'm going to give you just something you can say. If you have somebody that you're talking to at work in your neighborhood and you only have 60 seconds, you know, you know what a 60 second elevator speech is? Like you only have 60 seconds and you, and you got to say this in 60 seconds or less. Like they're, they're literally stopping by your desk and be like, Hey, I noticed you're like, you're different, man. And like, you just, you know, you just totally, I don't get it. And they're like, what's the deal? And they're headed to a meeting and you got 60 seconds. This is something you can say, right? This is something you can say. Um, Hold on, I lost it. Just here somewhere. Here it is. <laughs> I was looking at the wrong corner. Uh, there's a whole system to this. Anyway, as I get older, it gets harder. So if you only have 60 seconds, you say something like this. Well, I believe God exists, and he loves us so much that he gave Jesus to die for us, and then God raised him from the dead, and that through faith in Jesus, we can have forgiveness of our sins, and we can have the promise that we will never die. Now you say the promise that we will never die. They're going to come back. Or the promise that death doesn't have the final word on anybody. Or the promise that death has been defeated. Or the promise, because here's the thing. We can fix a lot of problems. People fix their marriages without Jesus. People fix their drug addiction without Jesus. People fix their, their job problems without Jesus. People can fix all. You don't need Jesus to fix all those problems. But there's one problem that only Jesus has promised to fix. And only he has words and proof of resur res resurrection that we can believe in. And that is the promise that death has been defeated, that it was finished on that cross. And so, and so anybody time asks you about, and so like, this is why. Let me, let me just read what I base that on. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what Peter says earlier in the letter. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living what? Hope. Through the what? Resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, our hope, your hope, is completely and totally based on the resurrection. So anytime somebody gives you 60 seconds, you have to say, Jesus resurrected from the dead. Because that's our entire faith. I know this is this is scandalous and, you know, it's everything else. But our faith isn't built on like, oh, I believe you have to believe everything about the Bible. Like, nah, I'm not going to debate you over that, right? God will get you there if he needs to get you there. Or, you know, you have to go to church or you have to give 10% of your income away or you have to like, no, no, our faith is built on one single thing. One thing. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and everybody say it, resurrected. Like that's our, that's everything. And so if you're given 60 seconds to tell someone, hey, why do you have hope? Why do you believe? You have to mention the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to. And you have to say that, well, well, because I believe of the resurrection of Jesus, I don't believe anyone's gonna ever stay dead through faith in Christ. That you don't actually die. 
Because I promise you, they're getting help with their marriage, and they're getting help with their drugs, and they're getting help with their alcohol, and they're not, they, maybe they're not using Jesus. But they buried somebody. And they are very interested in what the answer to that problem is. Now, what if your friend, though, has more time and wants to meet up and talk to you and like, hey, man, can we have lunch and chat about this? Can we get some coffee? Can I come to your house and sit on your back porch and talk about this? I want to ask you about your life. You seem to really, I don't know, it seems something different about you. You ready? Are you prepared to have that conversation? Are you prepared to be like, I can explain Christianity to you? I can explain the gospel to you? Are you are you prepared for that? Because for most of us, if we're honest, we're like, I can invite you to my church. Oh, you don't need to come over, man. We don't need to go lunch. I just meet you at church Sunday. I'll just outsource this to Pastor Stephen. You can clap. Yeah, come on, clap, right? Trust me, I live with that pressure, man. I live with that pressure. Somebody tell me, I'm going to bring my cousin to church, man. He's not a believer. You know, I hope you got a good one planned. I'm like, bro, I was, you know, you know, like, thank you. That's awesome. Put that on my shoulders. That's great. Cousin Jed, I hope today you'll give your life to Christ so I won't feel like a failure. And Anyway. Are you ready uh, for that conversation? You see, um, this is the moment where you've got to be able to talk about justice and beauty and love and morality and sin and God's perfection and his demand for justice. You got to be able to explain this kind of stuff. And I think most of us, uh, we just aren't able to do it. So I want to give you a tool. And uh, I listened to this podcast series. Uh, it's a it's not an ongoing podcast. It's a series that was done in 2019 by Tim Keller. And I think it's outstanding for thinking through some questions around a God worldview or a Christian worldview. He does a great job of being humble, gentle, and respectful, even when the skeptics ask him what I would say defensive questions or offensive questions. He never gets defensive. The, pod, the podcast is called Questioning Christianity uh, with Tim Keller. So nobody's taken a picture of that. So if you haven't taken a picture, oh, Angel did. So if you haven't taken a picture of that yet, take a picture of that, okay? Take a picture of that. Unless you're just like, I don't care. Um, when I was listening to this podcast series, I'm, this is the honest truth. I, I listened to multiple episodes multiple times. I remember thinking to myself, how could anybody not believe this? Like, how could anybody not believe the gospel? It's so crazy to me that, that you could hear it explained like this and not go, I really want that to be true. You see, your friends you're, that are not Christians, God has tapped you to help them come to understand the gospel. And they're clueless. Your friends are clueless. You don't think they are, but they are. They pretend like they're not because they're in the South. They pretend like they're not because they're in the South. They will even say they probably are. Oh, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Jesus and stuff. They will. But if, when your friend, like your friend, when they start asking you questions, it's you God has tapped to explain it. It's you that God has said, hey, you're going to be the one to, to but we got to tool up, man. We got to be, we got to be ready. We got to be tooled up. And I really believe that 
So I've done this with people where I'm explaining the gospel to them and unpacking it for them. I really believe this. You watch the light bulbs click on. Have you seen that before? Have you seen that before? Right, you watch the light bulbs. You seen that? You see, like the light bulbs click on, right? Isn't that one of the most exciting things in the world? When you're talking to someone about the gospel and you're explaining it to them and you're walking them through it and they go, oh, so I baptized a guy that was uh, 90 years old early in my ministry and I explained the gospel to him and he goes, graspy voice, old, and he's so old. He's like, oh, that makes sense. He was from Massachusetts. He had never heard the gospel explained in his life. I baptized him in an aluminum chair because he was afraid of drowning. He almost drowned as a kid. He had not been in water since. I put him in an aluminum chair. I baptized him in his 90s. And the powerful moment was at his house, sitting in his living room, when I explained it to him. Now, that's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian. Your friends are dying to know how it all works. And we have to be tooled up to help them. So I've given you a couple resources. But there are other resources. So does this take effort? Everybody say, yeah, it takes effort. It does. Because if if I consume media like that podcast, which, by the way, I don't want to make you, I don't want to, like, treat you like you're dumb or anything. But that thing's hard. Like, you got to be smart. All right? So if you listen to it later and you're like, man, this, you make your own assumptions about yourself, okay? (laughs) You're like, man, that's offensive. Trust me, I had to listen to episodes over and over and over again. It's hard. Like, it's, but it's, it's, the reason it's hard isn't because, because he's talking to skeptics, actually, in the podcast. He's talking to people who don't believe in God. The reason it's hard is because he's explaining the gospel in easy to understand terms, philosophical terms. But our brains don't consume that kind of media very much. So it's hard for us because we're too busy like consuming media that has nothing to do with God. Does that make sense? So when we try to listen to that podcast, we're like, ah, I just, I don't know, I just really struggle with it. Well, you're, you're struggling with it because your brain doesn't really, isn't tuned to things of God. And we have to, we have to help our brain get tuned to the things of God. Um, but it also means that, that if I'm going to consume that media, I cannot consume so much sports media. Right? I can't listen to 97.7 every day. That's talk radio, by the way. Is it? You see how this gets practical? Like I just have to say, well, I'm going to make time to consume less of this media that doesn't help my friends know what the gospel is. And I'm going to consume media that will help me understand how to give a reason for my hope. I'm just going to do it because it's not the pastor's job. It's my job. It's our job. And I'm going to start this process. And if you need help, if you try this podcast and you want more, or you're, I, then just email me. I'll send you stuff. Trust me. Like, I'll send you stuff. Left. You'll be like, please stop. Okay. But that effort that you will put in, it is so worth it. The first time God uses you, God uses you to help someone see 
the truth that Jesus loves them and died for them and wants them to live forever. The first time God uses you, you will be hooked. You will be hooked. And you will want that experience over and over and over again. The problem is, is that it takes effort to be ready to give a reason for the hope. Always ready for the hope you have. Father, thank you for the promise of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. Um, thank you for the song we sang today. It was finished upon the cross where the songwriter said, boldly, we approach the throne of God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. No more bearing the weight of sin for it was finished upon the cross. No more bearing the guilt of sin, for it was finished upon the cross. Father, help our hearts to believe that truth, that we can boldly come to you, not because we've performed well or because we've behaved well, but we can boldly come to you because you have given us the righteousness of Christ. And help us, God, to not outsource the task you've given us, but to take seriously what you've asked us to do, to live in a countercultural way, to never return evil with evil, but instead return it with blessing, and to always be ready to give a defense with gentleness and respect for the hope we've been given by you. We love you. Thank you for Christ. In his name. Amen. Thank you, friends, for being here today. Have a blessed week and a wonderful day.